You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Kimber Cross was born with one hand, and she's adapted and modified to excel in sports as a kid and now climbing as an adult. She's an adaptive climber who uses a custom prosthetic ice tool to climb waterfall ice around the country, as well as alpine ice routes in her home state of Washington. Kimber serves as a climb leader for the Mountaineers, a volunteer-based organization in Washington State that offers climbing courses and trips. When she isn't in the backcountry climbing or skiing, she's a nationally board certified educator teaching kindergarten. So let's chat with her. So Kimber, I thought before we start really diving deeper into the sport and activity of ice climbing, I wanted to just learn a little bit more about you and and how sports has played a role in your life from like early on. Yeah. Well, I had two very involved uh, in sports parents that um, never allowed me to even imagine the possibility of me not being able to participate having one hand. So I didn't really know anything else other than modify and adapt. And so starting in, I believe, like first grade, it was baseball, you know, t-ball, and that evolved into a deep love for basketball and volleyball and pitching. And ironically, as far as you know, in the 90s, as a 90s kid, um, representation in professional sports or in, you know, print uh, for someone with a disability such as mine, you know, an upper limb difference, um, being born without one hand, there wasn't anyone except um, California Angels pitcher. Um, what was his name? Yes, Jim yes. Abbott. Jim yes. Abbott. Yeah. So, People growing up in the 90s, uh, they knew who he was. He was amazing, pitched, but after he threw the ball, he would, you know, from his glove being under his armpit, he'd switch it, put it on his hand. And so that was someone that my parents were like, well, look, you can do it. He's doing it. So, you know, little girl, her her one person of representation growing up with <laughs> six foot tall, old white guy, like totally fine. And that to me was enough. And consequentially, I was a pitcher for nine years <laughs> uh, with a coach that came up from Texas. Um, and uh, every two weeks, you know, he trained me and it, it was incredible. He was this old Japanese man that just had amazing technique and coaching skill. And he, you know, saw me with my disability and really was like, there's nothing different. We're going to figure out your way of pitching, your way of maneuvering the glove. And I, I will train you. I will coach you just like anyone else. So to have advocates such as my parents, my pitching coach at a young age really got me into sports confidently. And, you know, I had to modify my glove. The, I decided to keep it on my stump hand. And so we just had a strap that I would tighten. So it would stay on and you know, mm-hmm. in grade school, you know, you're catching with two hands, you know, and making sure you're 
you know, second hand is covering the glove. And so really pitching was, was really fun um, and something I could participate in. And that kind of mindset, I think really is what carried my thought process as an adult into ice climbing, because I already knew the concept of, well, you just have to adapt. You have Mm -hmm. to modify what you're doing. Um, So yeah, that's kind of where, where my backstory started. So, so growing up, it sounds like you, you were involved in a lot of team sports. How did yeah. you pivot or switch to kind of these outdoor adventure things that you can obviously do with a group of people, but they're also very individualistic uh, sports and, and recreational activities as well? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a little bit different. I started um, in 2015-2016. I joined an organization called the Mountaineers. So it's a nonprofit or um volunteer organization uh, where you're just kind of learning different classes and courses. And I had a friend that was like, I want to climb Mount Rainier. Would you be interested in that? We have to join this course and they're going to teach us how to do it. And we're going to buy the gear. And I decided, well, that sounds great. I've been running, doing marathons and half marathons all kind of through my twenties. And I just wanted a break from that. And I thought, I just moved back to Washington from Kansas City uh, a couple of years prior and was like, yeah, I actually love the idea of Rainier. Like it's always been there in my backyard. And Mm -hmm. taking that class was super eye-opening because not only is it just kind of teaching you how to walk up a mountain in a glacier, but you're learning a lot of hard and soft skills that to me... You have to be good at them to be a team player, right? You know, you need to know crevasse rescue or, you know, repelling, belaying. And while it's very individualistic, you know, ice climbing, very individualistic, you're with a partner. One, mm-hmm. you know, to up to been on a glacier in a party of 10, you know. And so there's a lot of skills that I had to make sure I knew for my own safety, but I knew also for the safety of my team. And um, that was another area where I came in with all the confidence that you would as a little kid. You're just like, I can do it. I've done everything. But then it was the first time that I really had other people go, oh, wait a minute. Like, is this, is this safe? Because your, mm-hmm. your life is tied to someone on a rope, on a glacier, on a rock climb. And so that element of safety is really critical. And it was a great opportunity to have to hone in my skills and not only like prove to myself, but prove to other people that were a little unsure, rightly so, you know, I will give the benefit of the doubt. Like, yeah, like, can I belay? How can I belay? Uh, And so it really began in, you know, my, my early thirties, that process of, you know, outdoor sports where it's individualized, but it's on another safety level. And so, you know, can I adapt? Can I modify to the level of safety that you would need, you know, to recreate in the outdoors in these mm-hmm. ways. And so you mentioned a good point. There are two trains of thought. One is, um, you know, needing to prove to yourself. And then the other is needing, needing to prove to others. And so mm-hmm. what do you think it was? What, which one was harder? Um, mm-hmm. Proving to yourself or proving to others? Well, I think it was harder to myself when it came to the like, can I be confident enough in me 
so others are confident as well. And it mm-hmm. really is your own internal belief that I can do it because I, you know, I need to obviously pass the tests just like anyone would, disability or not, you know, repelling and belaying and you know, the calls and the signals and my brake hand always being on, you know, the brake strand. And so it was more like, okay, I can modify confidently and explain myself and explain why, you know, the way I do something looks a little bit different, but it's just as safe. When I got solid and sturdy in that, it was really easy to convey that to other people. And amazingly, you know, the, one of the leaders at the time, Scott Sichel, uh, he, you know, a vet, and, you know, had experienced his own, you know, different injuries and disabilities, you know, with um, within the army. And so he was like, hey, we have a committee that is a little unsure, but I know what it's like to, you know, live with a disability and live with some kind of a difference where you have to modify. He's like, you're going to do everything fine. You don't get a free pass. You just get to show us how you do it. And that whole process of you know, really the mindset, not only for myself, but really the other people around me, like not can, can you do it? Like, can you belay? Like, can you repel? But how do you do it? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you belay? How do you repel? And that simple change of language really shifts the entire narrative and of my own like self-talk and others perceptions of me because you're coming from a positive not from a negative like oh you know surely my first thought is you can't do it it should be like surely there's a way and it's different than how I do it and so explain to me and I think that having a supportive committee you know in the alpine uh, course that I was taking where they weren't asking can you do it but they were asking how do you do it that was pivotal in my confidence, you know, as I'm working with other people, um, and just really my my success throughout the course. And, you know, fast fast forward almost 10 years later, you know, I spent the last year as the chair of the intermediate Alpine committee. Um, and I graduated both the basic and the intermediate intermediate course. I lead climbs, I train, I teach. And so, you know, being the first like disabled person at in the chair position from, you know, almost 10 years ago when it was like, should should we even let her in the course? Like, is that safe for her and other people? Um, and again, I always go back to like, it's a legitimate question. Like, can I, it, is it safe? Um, but the fact that I have people just wanting to know the hows and not the like, like, but can you, like, should you even be involved? And that is such a, a vital piece of inclusion. Um, in the outdoors. And so that's, that's kind of what has carried me through. It's, you know, how do you do it? Not can, can you. Right. And so it's not a possibility question. It's a process question. And and all you have to do is demonstrate process and, uh, and then go from there. And, and what do you think it is about ice climbing that is appealing? I mean, why do you do it? What, what Mm -hmm. is, what what is the, where's the love or what is the love of the activity for you? I mean, it began, I think with the thought of, oh my goodness, you you most definitely need most of two hands for ice climbing. That was my first thought. So I was like, I don't have two hands. Now, fast forward, I've seen people ice climbing with one leg, one mm-hmm. arm, people who you know have been blind. Like 
really, you can ice climb with a lot less limbs than I first initially thought. So, you know, I came in with going like, oh, I'm at a deficit. Like, what do I need to do? Is this even possible? So it was more like I was drawn to ice climbing because of the curiosity of, is this even possible for me? And I found um, a picture that same um, instructor who had said, hey, there's no excuses. You're, You're joining the course and you're going to succeed. He was the same person that showed me a grainy picture of a gal ice climbing with a prosthetic. And he was like, this, this woman did it. She's actually an athlete. She does rock climbing is like her kind of specialty. She's on the North Face team. Her name is Maureen Beck. Like you need to learn about her because obviously it's been done so you can do it. And we have kind of similar upper limb differences. Hers is a little shorter than mine, closer to her elbow, um, but she was also born that way. And so that to me was like, oh my gosh, it's been done before. Okay. Now we just have to find the resources. So ice climbing was so unique to me because I really did need something to adapt and modify, you know, kind of like back when I was playing fast pitch, you know, we modified the glove, but this was going to be like, okay, something doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. a prosthetic, and it's going to have to exist to let me access this sport that looks so enticing. And so that was kind of my mindset at the beginning. And through a bunch of connections, I met up with a prosthetic doctor and he was like, hey, I want to build it for you. I'll build you a prosthetic. I just need to know what's ice climbing. (laughs) Um, And I was like, okay, we can do this. So I, you know, sat in his office. I pulled up some videos on YouTube of some ice climbers and he watched it and was like, wow. Okay. Number one, safety. Safety is my number one thing. I want this prosthetic to be able to stay on you. And so not only did I think like oh, solving a problem with ice climbing, like that's so fun. I want to be involved in it. But then I got to like the technology and the tools in that, that we need. And that whole about two year process with prototypes and scanning and getting castings of my arms and and that whole process of a liner. It was just fascinating because you're taking the tools, you know, I had the support of Petzl that, you know, were kind of helping me acquire ice tools because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to have to hack up a bunch of tools and, you know, have a a graveyard full of ice climbing tools before I figure out what works. Um, And we got some Petzlnomics and, he, the doctor built the whole prosthetic and the way it connects. And it just was like, for the first time, I felt more disabled than I ever had, mm. which was ironic. So I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Mm-hmm. I kind of mostly just do things in a unique way. You know, how, how I wrap, you know, a cord or a rope around my wrist without, you know, my fingers to kind of pull it something tight. Or uh, this was something that I had to have on me. And was very visible. You know, I love kind of being a, you know, fly under the radar, you know, with my disability and, you know, climbing because I just kind of want to be seen as like, just normalized. Like, hey, it's it's just me climbing and it's it's not this, you, you know, unique, crazy thing. But I know with ice climbing, that prosthetic hangs off my pack as I'm, you know, on an approach you know, hangs off my arm. It's, you know, this big thing. I I look different. It garners a lot of questions, a lot of, oh my goodness, like, what is that? Can I see it? You actually ice climb. That's incredible. 
And so that's been, um, yeah, just that whole process just made me fall in love with ice climbing because I knew it was going to be a challenge to overcome um, and, and just made it that much sweeter to enter into that sport knowing we created something from nothing um, because I saw a picture, a 10 year old picture of someone who had it years ago, you know? Yeah, and that's what at, at adaptive sports and recreation is all about is, is adaptation. And so you did exactly that. I wanted to, I wanted to ask a little bit about the difference between like waterfall ice and like mm -hmm. Alpine ice. So can you yeah. explain that a little bit? Yeah. So being from Washington, there's a lot of Alpine ice you know, on our volcanoes, you know, or wintertime, you know, we're getting routes that just have like very vertical, steep, glaciated ice. And so you'll, there'll be routes on, you know, like Mount Baker, um, the Northridge, and it's very steep vertical ice, but not necessarily waterfall ice because it's really found there year round Maybe in the winter, it's mostly covered by snow. And so you're starting to climb it, you know, June, July, uh, whereas ice climbing, waterfall ice, you know, you're kind of doing that in the throes of winter. You know, you want mm -hmm. those negative temps. Um, you want that water really nice and frozen. But, you know, I've climbed the Couts route on Rainier multiple times up the North Ridge of Baker, you know, in July, August, um, where the temps are warmer, but obviously that, you know, Alpine ice is still very much mm -hmm. frozen. And so there's a little bit different, you know, techniques. A lot of Alpine ice, you know, isn't always vertical while it is steep. Um, and so with my prosthetic, I actually, you know, there's the way the carbon fiber arm piece attaches with a titanium kind of screw system to the actual ice pick um or you know kind of the shaft of the the ice tool it has allen wrench connectors that i can really kind of wrench on it you know and loosen it and change the angle of it and with mm -hmm. alpine ice you know alpine ice two alpine ice three the grades are actually different so the way that i'm leaning more forward and you kind of have both your tools into the ice and your hands choked up on it you know, obviously I can't choke my hand, you know, up on the tool. And so my elbow is kind of down a little ways. And, and so it's really interesting. I actually love climbing um, more vertical, whether it's alpine ice or, or waterfall, because the more vertical, the more like, I don't know what the word, you know, ergonomic or my body is a bit more balanced mm -hmm. um, with the prosthetic and so that's kind of like the biggest difference, I would say, you know, you're climbing glacier, vertical glacier um, versus the waterfall, which, you know, it's a waterfall that's frozen and it has a lot of different features and a lot of different kind of variables that you need to know about, you know, different bulges, the way the ice bulges or, or dinner plates, um, the way you're putting in screws, usually on a glacier, you know, the, the ice is, is pretty consistent on a waterfall sometimes you know it's, it's variable based on conditions and temperatures and so yeah that's kind of kind of what i'm finding the main differences are and how do you since you do instruction um and and take groups out how do you introduce the concept of ice climbing to someone that's never done it yeah when someone really hasn't ever done it it's 
really fun to, in the Mountaineers, start in the classroom. We have actually like a foam wall we built, and it's a special type of foam that really works with tools um, and, and crampons and kind of teaching them the forms, you know, obviously starting off with your ice tool and what are the different parts of your ice tool and how you're holding it, how you're swinging it, the ergonomics of that swing with the velocity and force and the snapping of the wrist. And so we're really going to work on before we even touch the ice, even if we're standing in front of the waterfall, it's, you know, your, your body placement, your arm placement, you know, how the swing is going to feel, because if you're doing it all day, if you're doing a multi-pitch alpine route or multi-pitch waterfall route, you know, you're going to get tired if you're not, you know, swinging it correctly. And so we do mm-hmm. a lot of basic moves and, and, you know, your body in the A-frame and kind of how you're rotating from one side to the other, depending on, you know, which tool is above you. Um, and so really bringing it down to like the basics and being a kindergarten teacher, my whole world is scaffolding, right? So they're not writing sentences until we know what letters are. And until we know what words are, until we know what a pencil, how to hold a pencil, you know, Mm -hmm. what are the parts of a pencil and, you know, how do we form a sentence with spaces and a period and a capital letter, all these little pieces. And so, you know, my career is all about scaffolding and breaking things down and Mm -hmm. going slow at the beginning so we can go fast later. And it really is the same as I instruct within the Mountaineers or at different clinics around the country. kind of the building blocks. And so starting slow, starting with the foundation skills and then moving into, okay, now like you're on the ground, but walk up to the ice, take some swings on the ice, feel that wrist flick, um, you know, look for good placement, look at the ice. We'll talk about the ice and what it looks like and, you know, how you make decisions on where you want to swing and this and that. And the same with, you know, an ice screw. And then we'll go into talking about the screws and the angles and, you know, parts of the screw and how to choose good ice and what is not good ice. And if you screwed all the way in and you didn't see any ice come out, like, well, guess what? It is very hollow. You know, do you want to, would you trust that? Would you trust falling on that screw? You know? Um, So yeah, I just, I'm a scaffolding based (laughs) educator in the classroom or in the mountains. (laughs) Well, and I think that that probably holds true with just about anything that's new, right? Is you got to start, got to start with the foundations first. So whether yeah. you're a kid in kindergarten or whether you're, uh, you know, learning a new a new sport or activity. Absolutely. And Kimber, would you say it's more, uh, you know, some sports are more physical, some sports are more strategic and mental. I mean, where where does ice climbing fall into that kind of range? Yeah, honestly, for me, you know, ice climbing is a little bit of both. It's a lot of technique because the technique is to save your energy. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're making like really wide swings, you know, it's easier to kind of, you know, swing wide if you're on alpine ice, you know, with it not being straight up vertical. But that's just going to put so much energy, you know, on your back and your muscles. And you really have to dial it in going, okay, like the technique is really what's going to conserve my energy for this long route. Um, but at the same time, you know, not only is you know learning good footwork and, you know, placing your feet and standing up and, you know, having a good, you know, placement of each tool every time and not rushing it, you know, those are all the elements, you know, to keep you efficient, moving efficiently and safely because of the number one rule of ice climbing is don't fall. Right. And, 
with that rule, you know, and how serious that is, is you want to make really good movements every time. And you can do that and save your energy to continue to do that, not just within the first hour of your day on ice, but hour five, you know, when you're tired, when you're cold. And so for me, it really is, you know, how's my technique doing? But then training wise outside of just having really good, you know, skills is also that fitness side. And, you know, I'll be doing, I can, you know, even with my wrist do pull-ups. And so it's a lot of, you know, whether it's pull-ups or hanging, I actually, you know, you'll see a lot of ice climbers kind of hang on their tools um, or do different, you know, I obviously have a tool always attached to my arm. And so I don't have, um, you know, the benefit of being able to, you know, hold on to one tool and lock my leg around it, and, you know, switch mm-hmm. hands and grab the other tool. And, you know, I have to modify the way that, you know, I will traverse back and forth on a, on a nice route. Um, but it's a lot of upper body, you know, your arms are up high. You're holding when you're placing an ice screw, you know, one arm is above you gripping and one arm, you know, is screwing. And so like, do you have the energy reserves in your muscles to work through that lactic acid phase where you're starting to, you know, cramp up or hurt? And um, so I think kind of prior to as the season's starting, as you're in the thick of it, is really a lot of upper body work. Um, and then at the same time, especially in Washington, the approaches to ice, kind of legendary, <laughs> Um, and steep. And so, you know, I'm doing a lot of stair climbing or, you know, walking a park with a heavy pack. So it's, you know, can I keep moving? Can I make it to my ice climb? And, you know, I want to have, you know, my heart healthy and ready, my lungs healthy and ready. And so it's kind of this consistent training, um, just making sure I can just make it to an approach, but at the same time, like I can sustain myself, you know, through, through a climb because of the training I've been doing for this specific sport. And I think, I think you just answered my other question, which is, you know, uh, whether it's upper body, a combination of upper body and lower body and whether it's strength and conditioning and cardio. So it sounds like it's really a mixture of all of that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I'm also, you know, avid ski mountaineer and rock climber and, and they all kind of have the same elements of long approaches and, you know, your specific muscles related to, you know, whatever it is skiing, obviously it's more my legs you know, rock climbing, ice climbing, it's going to be a lot of, you know, upper body keeping me, pulling me up. Um, you know, my legs are, are really, you know, what's kicking in my crampons, you know, getting good footing, you know, but it's my, you know, the swing of my arms, you know, again and again and again. And so, yeah, it's gotten to the point where it's just year round training and almost as if, you know, one training is helping me for the next training. And, um, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's a year long work in progress, but keeps you motivated and and keeps you feeling ready for the mountains. And then I know that, you know, ice climbing is probably lesser known uh, than like rock climbing or of course, you know, gym climbing. Um, What is the biggest difference between uh, other than obviously being out in the winter and being out in the cold? um, What are some other big differences between maybe the, you know, the rock climbing versus the ice climbing components? Well, you know, there's hazards, obviously, in both, but I find that ice climbing has a lot of hazards on the up, you know, I mean, rappelling, they both have 
repelling and it's, you know, making sure mm-hmm. your, you know, knots are in your rope. And, um, but I have had a lot of close calls or heard of a lot of close calls or, you know, um, some really, you know, injuries or deaths based on ice breaking, ice falling, pillars falling, you know, teams above you um, on a multi-pitch route, you know, knocking ice down. And so really the objective hazards are just super high when you're, when you're ice climbing. And so you kind of have your head on a swivel at all times, you know, making sure, you know, where your belayer is when you're taking off, like they're not directly under you getting the spray of, you know, the ice chunks. Um, and, um, you know, making smart movements, like when, when I'm rock climbing, you know, I'm placing pro just like I'm placing screws. Um, but I'm, I, I kind of can feel confident when I grab on a, a jug or hold of something that it's going to stay there. You know, if you're swinging your tools, sometimes, you know, depending on if the ice is really brittle, that whole area can just dinner plate, you know, or blow off. And so you're like, oh, great. You know, that nice area that I had planned, you know, to have my tools in, you know, is gone is now, Mm -hmm. you know, below me. And so there's that element. I think that, you know, it's a lot of um, objective hazards. And so you're being very critical with your thinking of, you know, where am I placing my, you know, my gear, um, where am I placing my my climber um, to just make sure that, you know, it's a safe trip and it's a fun trip. And just um, maybe one or, one or two more questions. So it sounds like, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking a lot about the safety and the, and the hazards. Um, why would someone want to do this? What's the, what's the, uh, <laughs> what's the, what's the end result? What, 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 what kind of exhilaration is involved after accomplishing a, a nice climb? I mean, you know, if I think of a big route, you know, like Couts or you know, the Northwest Coolar of El Dorado is a peak out here that, you know, I love like six pitches of just ice and snow and getting through that with your partner and swinging leads and doing what, you know, you need to do to, to, to finish something of that, staying warm, um, you know, not getting hit by ice, um, you know, finishing all the pitches, like making it through the cruxes there's just that feeling of accomplishment when you're on the summit, similar to, you know, when you finish a rock route, when you finish a glacier, a volcano route, um, big mountain, but it's that feeling of like, I did something hard and we are so wired to love challenges, I think as, as humans and enter into something that takes a lot of work because that end result, that dopamine hit you have, um, <laughs> it's it's just so fun. And with ice climbing, I think just the element of like, this is only frozen for a short period of time. And in Washington, sometimes we call it unicorn ice to really get a frozen waterfall. Um, and it's just so thrilling to go like, I'm actually climbing this element of, of liquid, you know, that's, it's in a frozen state and I have the tools and and I did it. And it is really just regardless of if you're an adaptive athlete or a female climber or anyone, like anyone feels that same sense of excitement of you're like, this is just so unique. And I remember going to a clinic in Ure, Colorado, you know, and they have 
um, a beautiful Canyon, you know, it's ice in the winter. And, and my dad came with me kind of when I first started ice climbing and he's in his Carhartt jeans. He's never touched tools. You know, he's knows his daughter's been doing this for a couple of years and he just comes and joins and to watch my dad, even like grab these tools, get on crampons, wear his jeans and just start like swinging and climbing, you know, on top rope, like for him, you know, someone he, you know, fished his whole life, hunted his whole life, you know, demolition his whole life. He athlete, you know, wrestler in high school, like to him, this was just so otherworldly mm-hmm. than, than what was like a normal thing to do, a normal sport to pick up. And he was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do it ever again. But that was incredible. You know, and so there's that element of like, it's just so unique of a sport, whether you try it once and you don't want to do it again, or you try it once and you are just hooked for life. Um, yeah, it really is such a, a unique thing. Uh, Amber, is there anything that I've not asked you about that I think that would be important to convey or or talk about regarding the, the activity? Um, you know, ice climbing is something that really bonds you in that community. It, you know, it's not a large community. It's growing all over the world, mm-hmm. but it really opened my eyes to not just Washington, you know, but places all around the country. And with the beauty of social media and friendships and connections, like I've been able to climb in different countries, different states every year for the past, you know, almost eight, nine years um, for ice climbing with my prosthetic. And it's so fun to experience a different state's mountains or a different state's waterfall. And so you, when you start traveling for it, or you start signing it for the clinics, you know, in all parts of the country, like it's different ice. Some of it, you know, is right by the water, you know, in Michigan, some of it is deep in canyons, you know, like Highlight Canyon in Montana. Um, and so it really gets you around the country or around the world. You know, like my long-term goals, big goals are you know, ice climbing in Scotland, mm. ice climbing in South America, you know, different seasons, like winter, you know, in South America is different than, you know, and so mm-hmm. it's just really like, wow, you actually can do this, not just in one state, but all over the world and make so many different friends and so many climbing partners that it's just kind of my yearly pilgrimage to multiple locations. And and I just love it. It's such a satisfying privilege, um, blessing of a, of a activity that I get to participate in because I have people believe in me because I have the support of that doctor who was like, let's figure it out. 